one day, seven terrible years of tribulation will come galloping in, led by the four horsemen of the apocalypse. How should Christians respond right now? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah offers some suggestions straight from God's Word, which you can put into practice as the end time draws near. To introduce the conclusion of his message, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, here's David. You know, friends, as I have been teaching the Bible all these years and uh, amassing all of this content that we have uh, gathered from the Bible and organizing it so that it can be used in daily studies, I become more and more aware of the fact that one of the greatest contributions we may make, even more so perhaps than the radio program that's all over the world, is the preservation of this material in a format that you can use for the rest of your life for whoever you are and however you want to share it. And this series is just a great illustration of that. We have a 463-page textbook. We have three study guides that coordinate the textbook. And then we have CDs of every single audio message that's in the the three months of our um, production. And you can get all of this in one package and have it available so that if you want to go through this on your own again, you can do it. If you want to teach a Bible study or facilitate a discussion about Revelation, you can do it. If you teach a Sunday school class and you have uh, some input into the curriculum, you can suggest that you do it uh, because you will have the textbook and then you'll have the workbook and then you'll have the audio material. And with all of that in your hands, you should be able to have a robust discussion about what's going to happen in the future. These articles in this book, these chapters, were not written for seminarians. They were written for the average, everyday Christian who wants to know more about the Word of God. And so you can understand them, and you can apply them, and you can teach them, and you surely can discuss them. I encourage you to take a look at that when you go to our website today. Well, this is part two of The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. You see how all the horsemen kind of work together. The Antichrist working with war, and war working with famine, and famine working back again with the Antichrist. This is the confusion that will be on the earth during the tribulation period. Sidney Harris has said that an empty stomach is the worst political advisor in the world. But an empty stomach is acting as the Secretary of State for half of the population of our globe. One in eight people today do not get enough food to be healthy and lead an active life. Hunger and malnutrition are in fact the number one risk to worldwide health greater than AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. One need only ponder the exploding population of our world to understand why and how the prophecy of the black horse is beginning to be fulfilled as population explodes and food sources diminish and why the shadow of this coming is lying heavy over us at this very time. I want to show you some numbers that are quite startling. It took all of recorded history for the world to produce its first billion inhabitants and that took place in 1850. It took less than 80 years to pass the 2 billion mark, and that took place in 1930. And it took 31 years to reach 3 billion in 1961, 
It took 15 years to add the fourth billion in 1976, and five billion was reached 13 years later in 1987. It took 10 years for the world to hit the six billion mark in 1999, and we passed the seven billion mark in 2011. Somebody said, if we continue to grow at the present rate, in 900 years, we'll have 60 million billion people on the earth, 100 people for every square yard of earth, land, or sea. How many of you know something's got to happen before that takes place? What this means, for instance, in India, is forced sterilization to curb India's population. In our country, it means that the crisis has just begun and it will continue to grow. Viewing the world's resources as the gas tank on your car, they have passed the half full point and they're moving toward empty. When you have an exploding population and a diminishing ability to produce food, and then let me tell you something else. And when you try to deal with this and you don't do with it right, if you don't deal with the food supply right, you make it worse. And so the thing that's happening is, is we move toward the coming of Christ and the rapture. How many of you know, we've said this before, future events cast their shadows before them. All these things we're talking about that we begin to witness in our world today, we can see happening. These things are just reminding us that our redemption is drawing nigh. If all these things are going to fully materialize after the rapture, the rapture has to happen first and we're seeing them now. That means that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back soon. There is no way for this to be understood in any other way. So what do we have? We have at the beginning the Antichrist going across the earth, making peace as if he cared. And then we have war escalating on every front until there's a great need for a peacemaker. And in the aftermath of war is famine. And then the fourth horse, the pale horse, in verses 7 and 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, and with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Now John sees two people in his picture. He sees death riding on a pale horse, and Hades, the realm of the dead, is following him. I wonder if the horse had a sidecar. <laughs> the Bible says that Christ has the keys of death and Hades, and both will one day be cast into hell. Death comes after the body to claim it, and Hades comes after the soul to claim the soul. God does have a plan for Satan and all his people. As one man said recently, the next time Satan tries to remind you of your past, you tell him about his future. That'll stop the conversation right there. <laughs> one of the most dramatic of the dozens of artistic interpretations of the four horsemen is the nightmare vision of a modern Japanese artist, Fujita, who painted the fourth horseman as a full skeleton grinning fiendishly riding on the full skeleton of a horse across a battlefield strewn with skeletons. This entire scene is framed in a chlorine green cloud of death, with Hiroshima and Nagasaki being etched into the Japanese mind. Who could better portray the pale horse than Fujita? Please note that as these two ride forth, they are armed with weapons, the sword, hunger, pestilence, and wild beasts. 
These are the same four severe judgments spoken of by Ezekiel in another passage in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 14, 21. For thus says the Lord God, how much more it shall be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword and famine and wild beasts and pestilence, to cut off man and beast from it. God's four severe judgments are described as the sword and the famine and the wild beasts and the pestilence, and history shows that in the past there has been a very close association between these four things. When war sweeps over a land, it is common for agricultural pursuits to be almost entirely deserted while all able-bodied men take up the sword. In consequence, food stores are reduced, and if war is of long duration, the inevitable result is famine. A widespread scarcity of food and correlative malnutrition are in their turn productive of disease and plague. The depopulation caused by war, famine, and pestilence ultimately encourages wild beasts to prey upon men. Now, we've already seen war and famine on a global scale in the future, and now we are introduced on a local level, only this time they are accompanied by pestilence. Historians tell us that more people died of the epidemics of flu and typhoid after World War I than died in the war itself because of the things I have just explained to you, an estimated 26 million people. One author writes, few words in the English language encapsulate as much horror and misery and doom as the word plague. After all, infectious diseases have inflicted a great deal of damage throughout the centuries. They have decimated whole populations. They have ended bloodlines. They have claimed higher casualties than wars and played pivotal roles in charting the course of history. An epidemic occurs when a disease affects a disproportionately large number of people within a given population, such as a city or geographic region. If it affects even greater numbers and a wider area, these outbreaks become pandemics. Take the emergence of AIDS in the 1980s, which has led to a global pandemic, killing an estimated 30 million people since 1981. According to recent statistics, 34 million people are currently HIV positive, and 2 million people died of AIDS in 2010 alone. Along with pestilence will be the beasts. Does this speak of lions and tigers on the loose? I don't think so. The reference here is probably symbolic. It refers to beasts like men. The Greek word for beast occurs 38 times in the book of Revelation, and all the other occasions it has to do with the beast or the false messiah. But it is also possible to link the beast in this passage with the famine and the plague. Listen carefully. The most destructive creature on the earth is the rat. The rat is a menace to human health and human food supplies. He comes in more than 550 different species. He is found wherever man is found. A single pair of rats can produce 350 million descendants in just three years. If we were to exterminate 90% of the rat population in any given area, it would replace itself within one year. Rats carry about 35 different diseases. Their fleas carry bubonic plague, which destroyed one-third of the population of Europe in the 14th century. Their fleas also carry typhus, which in four centuries has killed an estimated 200 million people. The rider on this fourth horse will reap a terrible harvest from the earth, 
This prediction by John is in perfect alignment once again with what Jesus said in Matthew 24 would happen. Let me read again from our Lord's words in his discourse in Matthew 24. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. All these things have to come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Then Jesus adds the most frightening statement. Here it is, Matthew 24, 8. All these are just the beginnings of sorrows. Now, you've probably freaked out with some of this stuff. It is pretty scary, some of it. But listen to what the Word of God says. If you think what I've told you is bad, this is just the prelude. This is just the overture to what's going to happen in the book of Revelation. This is just the preface to the tribulation period. The terror of these things we have just discussed is only the beginning of this judgment. Before seven years has passed on planet Earth, the wrath of the Lord will be unleashed without restraint and the condition will be so terrible that Jesus himself warns us, once again in Matthew 24, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. And woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Jesus says these are the beginning of the birth pangs of the tribulation. Birth pains are awful. But just when they're at their worst, the baby comes. These judgments are birth pains, and they mean more than angry retribution. They are a part of a necessary process that will bring forth new life. As we contemplate this future time of trouble, here's some of the responses we should have in our heart. First of all, we should have a response of praise. Watch. If we have understood the teaching of chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation, we who know the Lord as personal Savior ought to rejoice. Though we mourn for those here on the earth who will be suffering, we will be in heaven with our Lord. The rapture of the church will take place after the church age, and while the tribulation is mounting in momentum below, we will be worshiping the Lamb around the throne of God. You have a choice. You can either experience what I've talked about or you can be in heaven worshiping the Lord God. You have to make the choice. You don't get to make the choice after the end. You have to make the choice now. Ask yourself this question. I listened to what you said, Pastor, about what's going to happen on the earth after the church has gone to heaven. I really don't want to have a part of that. Well, then you should get saved. Because if you get saved and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you won't be here for that. You'll be in heaven. Because the Bible tells us before all this begins, we will be raptured to be with the Lord. And that ought to fill us with praise. Thank you, Lord, for preparing so that I do not have to face the judgment of the great tribulation. The Bible tells us that we're in Christ, and if we're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. The judgment for all that we have done was meted out on Christ at the cross so that we wouldn't have to face that judgment. One of these days, 
perhaps before we meet again, the shout will be heard and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and we'll be raptured to heaven. It's after that that all this stuff I've been telling you about is going to take place. That should fill our hearts with praise that God has provided for us a way. And some people say, oh, that's just your imagination. You just hope that that's true. No, it's not either my imagination. It's the settled word of God. And if you don't believe it, go back and get the tape that I preached on the pre-tribulation rapture. And you will have enough evidence to believe that when Jesus Christ comes back, the tribulation won't have started and we'll be on our way to heaven when it all breaks loose down here on this earth. So the first thing we should do is respond with praise. Number two, respond with passion. In Matthew 24, the Lord concludes his lesson on the future tribulation by telling a story about a fig tree. And among other lessons, the parable of the fig tree clearly conveys this lesson that future events cast their shadows before them. And although the events of the seven years of tribulation belong entirely to the seven years of tribulation, they will not begin suddenly without some warning beforehand. I believe we're in the warning stages right now. Some of the stuff I've shared with you is well on its way to fruition. And the problems of war and famine and death and pestilence, which will be acutely felt during the tribulation, will begin to intensify before the tribulation and before the rapture. Surely that ought to make us look with a sense of urgency on the task that you and I have as believers in Jesus Christ. The condition of our world tells us that the Lord's return must be on the horizon. I know that ever since the world began, there have been people that are saying that Jesus is coming back and he hasn't come back yet, but there's never been a time when the world situation was more predicating of the return of the Lord than it is right now. And one thing you can be sure of, the scripture says, we are nearer now than we were the day we believed. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. I still believe it's going to be in my lifetime. And if that's true, how many of our loved ones still need to come to Christ? I mean, how many of our friends and our classmates and our co-workers are headed toward this awful judgment? You talk about not wanting to go to hell. I don't think nobody wants to go to hell, but I'll tell you something else. Nobody wants to go to the Great Tribulation either, if you understand what the Bible says. If hell is worse than the Great Tribulation, it's hard to imagine the awfulness of such a place. Because what the Scripture paints that is going to happen on this earth after the church is removed is the most awful set of circumstances you can ever imagine. We are told that the rider on the last horse is given the right to destroy one-fourth of the world's population. Did you see that? So the time to witness to our friends is now. The time to talk to our loved ones is now. You say, well, they don't listen. Well, try something else. Try some way to get across to them how important it is that they get right with the Lord. Let me just ask this question. I already know the answer, but I think it's good for us all to see it. How many of you have in your immediate family or your extended family those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior? What do we do with that? You know what's so easy for us to just get in our routine and park that off in the back of our mind someplace and we see them and we think, well, I should talk to them about this sometime. And the sometime never happens. And then for those of you who do not know the Lord, your response should be one of personal evaluation. You should look into your own heart and ask yourself, am I ready? If the rapture should occur tonight, am I ready? And if you're not a Christian, if you've never personally asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, you may be interested in prophecy because you're a curious person. 
As you reflect on the things that I've said, please understand that the time of opportunity for you is now, right now. You say, well, I'm going to wait until I know I'm going to die. Then I'll get it right. Listen carefully. In the Bible, there is only one account of a deathbed conversion. Just one. One account. It cannot be too often or too loudly said or too solemnly repeated that the Bible, which ranges over a period of 4,000 years, records one instance of a deathbed conversion. One. One that none may despair and but one that none may presume. You say, I'm going to be number two. I don't think so. I don't think so. We have stories of people who've received Christ at the last moment. That will always be a wonderful thing. But to presume on that is such an arrogant and presumptuous thing for us to do. God's grace is available to rescue from his wrath. There's no need for you to be in despair. There is a sense of urgency to his offer of grace. There is no reason to presume upon his grace. If you're not a Christian, why not become a Christian? Why not open your heart and receive Jesus Christ? You know what? If you do that, you will have a whole different response to these lessons from the book of Revelation. They will quicken your heart because you will know Jesus is about to come back. If you keep coming and you're unsaved, you're going to have some sleepless nights because the Bible is very clear about what's going to happen on this earth and what's going to happen if we reject the gospel. I hope that you understand that this is God at work, God loving us enough to purge this earth from that wickedness which has made it such an evil place, God loving us enough even to take out the penalty of his own wrath on his son so that you and I might be forgiven. There is no God like our God. He's a God of love and mercy, and yes, a God of judgment. If you study the book of Revelation, and I've been through this book several times, here's what you're going to find out, and we'll see this going forward. The book of Revelation is a book of parentheses. By that I mean this. You will get into the book of Revelation, and we'll get into some very, very strong judgment passages. And as you go through the judgment passages, as soon as you get through one, there'll be a little parenthesis where the mercy of God is declared. It's like God is saying, okay, I'm going to pour out my judgment on this earth, but I'm still going to hold out the opportunity for people to be saved. And then there's more judgment, and then there's another parenthesis. Our God is a God of mercy and grace. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance And so even though this judgment is a judgment against wickedness, within the midst of the judgment is God's gracious and merciful heart being displayed so that we still have hope. But you could wait until too late, and I hope you will not do that. Amen. Well, friends, we have just concluded our discussion of the four horsemen of the apocalypse from Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And since we're in the metaphors of uh, the book of Revelation, we're going to follow this up with a discussion tomorrow, which is called The Beast from the Sea. And uh, you will be surprised to know who that beast is. There are two beasts in the book of Revelation. One of them is the Antichrist, and the other is the false prophet. One is the beast from the sea, and the other is the beast from the earth. These two beasts represent the Antichrist, and the false prophet who will rule and reign during the tribulation period. 
We'll talk about the first of the beasts tomorrow as we open our Bibles to the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, if you haven't already done so, when you send a gift to Turning Point during this month, we'd like to send you a booklet called Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. This booklet is available for a gift of any size to Turning Point. You can send your gift and ask for the book, and we'll send it right to you to say thank you. Your investment in what we're doing to share this word around the world is most appreciated, and this is one of the ways we say thank you. And also remember, you can get all of this printed material, all of the resources for this whole series is available from davidjeremiah.org, our website. You can get the textbook, the study guides, and the audio package right there and be ready to use this and share it with others. We'll see you right here tomorrow. Thank you so much. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you share with us how Turning Point is helping you in your daily walk? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers, David's new resource that reveals the meanings of numbers in Scripture. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Signs right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Do you wish you had a better grasp of Bible prophecy? Then you'll love Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Grow in your understanding of end times events and discover what the numbers and prophecy mean. This fascinating book is yours with a gift of any amount this month and give $70 or more to receive this book plus two other answer books that will help address your most pressing questions about end times and Bible prophecy. Find out more at davidjeremiah.ca. I know of no more destructive emotion than suspicion. Suspicion can rob us of our peace, steal our intimacy, and destroy our trust in another person. All we need is a tiny shred of so-called evidence, a rumor, or piece of gossip in the wind for our mind to create worst-case scenario speculations. 
Unless one is certain of suspected activity, in which case honest conversation is needed, suspicion violates a key principle of love, as expressed by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. Love believes all things. Love thinks the best, not the worst of others. Love always gives the benefit of the doubt. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to handle suspicion on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.